0: Hey, hey, this is Megan and Julie. Today, we have an episode with us. We don't have a V-backstory story today, but that's okay. We are excited to be sharing an episode with us because we haven't done one for a while. And so we were like, oh, let's, let's get on and, and talk about the cervix. This is something that, obviously, the cervix has a big role in our deliveries. And so we wanna talk about what it means, what it looks like, what it means if we're not... Dilating, or if we are dilating, what it means to be checked during labor or before labor even begins, and all of the crazy things that we hear about these amazing cervix of ours. Julie has a review of the week, and so we're going to turn the time over to her to read that and then we'll dive right in.
1: Yes, yes. So excited to do a whole episode all about the amazing cervix. So I'm going to read a review. That was just left um, a couple weeks ago. Get a fresh new one in here. And this is from Karen. And Karen says, thank you, is the title. Actually, this was an email. Oh my gosh, it's not even a podcast review. I just read that it is an email that she sent us. So Karen, we're going to read your email. And this is really fun. Okay, so she says, I have written this email in my head so many times in the past year. It's been a bit over a year since my little girl was born. And I'm still thinking about how helpful your podcast was. She is my eighth baby and was born by VBAC after two cesareans. While well, I was blessed to have a very supportive doctor and birth team something that will probably be more common in Canada where we're not dealing with insurance companies calling the shots. (laughs) That's something to think about later where my (laughs) mind will go off on a tangent. (laughs) I still feel like your podcast helped me to be informed about the benefits and risks of VBAC after two C-sections and empowered me to take an active role in the decision-making before and during labor and birth. I was induced and able to recognize and slow down the cascade of interventions that hospital staff assumed was going to happen. It helped to know my options for induction, a catheter, a Cook's catheter instead of a Foley, two balloons, so double the pressure, <laughs> double the pressure, double the vent That shit just came to my mind for some reason. Oh my gosh, let me get back to on track. And after a while, a very slow and low Pitocin drip was the way we went. In the end, after a very calm labor with as little interference as possible, my sweet little daughter was born and I enjoyed the peaceful natural labor and birth, plus the easier recovery that I had been so hoping and praying for. My Obi was so excited too. Thanks again for this wonderful work that you're doing. And thank you, Karen. That just touches our heart so happy or touches our heart and makes us so happy when we get reviews on our podcast, we get emails. Instagram messages, Facebook messages. I'm pretty sure we're really good at responding to all of them still. It might just take us a few days. (laughs) So if you ever feel so inclined, we would love for you to reach out and tell us how, how we are helping you or things that we could do better to better help you and better serve you. That's the whole reason why we created the feedback link to serve and help parents and birth workers, just like you listening right now.
2: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan.
1: Another thing I want to talk about before we get into the magical cervix is our podcast mm-hmm. sponsors. We have started uh, implementing ads and sponsorships into our podcast and we are have been really particular about who we invite into our space so that we make sure the sponsors that we're bringing onto our podcast will really benefit you and your family in whatever stage of parenthood and birth and pregnancy that you're in. Our sponsors allow us to keep bringing you this amazing podcast. So we really appreciate it when our listeners go and visit our podcast sponsors website and see if what they have to offer is a good fit for them. So we want to thank our podcast and we want to thank you for checking out our podcast sponsors because In the end, it kind of all makes the world go around, so we get podcast sponsors, and then when you support the sponsors, you're supporting us, and it allows us to keep bringing you this wonderful (laughs) podcast. Right,
0: Megan? Right. I love you. It's like a little merry-go-round. Everyone's merry. Everyone's (laughs) merry. (laughs) I love you. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, we got a good laugh this morning. Um, We have... We are on podcast three of podcast five of the day. So, um, yeah, I think I think kind of when this <laughs> happens, we get a little bit more giggling. We get, <laughs> like, it's just so funny. So this is and fun. That we are we not get-
1: under the influence. I want to clear that up. <laughs> except for not. maybe a little bit of caffeine here and there. <laughs> Wait, oh, my gosh. I haven't even go. told I haven't even told our podcast listeners yet. Yes, I have had to give up caffeine for health reasons that I won't get into, but it makes me feel really, really old. But yeah, I've given up caffeine and I feel like I've kind of lost my identity a little bit because I'm like the always caffeinated computer geek that's like in my bio. And now I'm not always caffeinated. I am kind of really grumpy about it, but I've been on like, I've stopped caffeine like six weeks ago, started like drinking homemade bone broth. Like guys, I am. Making homemade oh, okay. bone broth. I drink two to three cups of it every single day to help um, my gut health and overall the uh, health like that. But in line with that, I had to cut out caffeine. But now that it's been like four, like six weeks since I cut out complete caffeine completely, I occasionally allow myself a caffeinated beverage when I'm feeling particularly stressed out because the caffeine really does calm me down, and that's because I have anxiety. So if you have anxiety, you can totally relate to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah just occasional caffeine. Good for you. I'm gonna have to rewrite my bio like I'm gonna have to do that because and now I'm just a computer geek and that's not as exciting as an always caffeinated (laughs) computer geek. right?
0: Yeah now you're a very exciting person so. Oh thanks. Uh, (laughs) um, So we're so excited. This is actually something that Julie has been wanting to talk about for a long time and it's the cervix. So okay let me just start off by saying a cervic cervical exam is where, just in case, like you don't know me, you might be a first time mom right now listening. I don't know. Um, a cervical exam is where a provider, a skilled provider, will insert their fingers into the vagina and check the cervix. When they're checking the cervix, what they're checking, checking, they're checking is how soft, how forward, how thin, and how like much it opens. You know. The cervix is. So right now, grab your lips and squeeze them together like in a kissy face.
1: Are you doing it? Are you doing it, Julie? I don't <laughs> squeeze them together with my fingers, like squeeze them. People no, are gonna think they're nuts. It. If you're a first-time listener, I promise we no, are legit. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm grabbing my lips and squeezing them together.
0: This is what a midwife a long time ago. <laughs> <saw>. <laughs> That's <laughs> just so laughing so hard, you guys. Oh, okay, so gosh. if you
1: squish your lips, not with your fingers, with your lips. Oh, oh. <laughs> like in a kiss. Okay, okay, starting over. Starting over. Squish your lips. Mm hmm. So
0: if you feel that, like now with your finger, feel the tip. Mm hmm. Can you kind of feel how it's like thick? Because your lips, maybe if you have thin lips, it's thinner. But um, it's kind of like thick lips. and harder. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Can you feel it? That's I always kind of say like way- push
1: on your forehead and your nose and your chin and that kind yes. of gives you like the how hard like the firmness of your cervix like on your mm-hmm. forehead is more firm yeah so, nose is a little softer and chin uh-huh. is a little yeah so
0: you know? I had I had a client that was texting their medwife and asking like what they should be feeling for and it was that she was like pinch your lips together with your you know like tight like with your pucker lips them? yep pucker them up like a kiss mm-hmm. and tight and then feel what that feels like with your finger. And she's like, that's what you're looking for. If you're checking yourself, like that's why she suggested that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but that gets like, it's really hard and high. It might be really far back and like not open, right? It's closed. Mm -hmm. It's tight. You can't get in your mouth anyway. So the service can sometimes be like that. And then as labor becomes Closer, it will start thinning and opening and softening. And I love what Julia just said like, your forehead, it's hard, your nose, okay, it's softer, still hard, you know, and then your lips. So that's kind of something that they're looking for. Now, in order to deliver, and I, I hate saying that all the time, Rebecca Decker, you've got me. I love it. She's got me thinking all the time. So, in order to give birth, you have to reach 10 centimeters. Right, which means your cervix is all the way open and goes away. Um, so, when an, a, a provider is checking a cervix, they're checking to see how dilated you are, how effaced you are, which means how thin you are, because that could be an indicator on how close you are to giving birth. However, it's dun, not dun, always. Dun. Not <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> it's not always. A great indicator and this is something that usually starts around 36 weeks so when you get you reach 36 week weeks they typically will check for something called group b strep and then they'll check the cervix julie is that when you i mean you delivered early but it was before 36 but like, do you feel like at thirty six weeks is like the typical for your clients? Like, oh, 36 yeah. weeks, I'm to so do my costs? GBS test. Yeah, they're
1: doing my GBS test. The doctor wants to do a cervical check. What should I say? What should I do? I should I do this? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, do you to Do you want to know what I always tell my clients? It's like scripted, like a perfectly. I just always say, I always tell them, you know, like the the risks and benefits. Obviously, with a cervical check, is a uh, higher risk of introducing an infection or bacteria into your. Um, vagina that's not already there. So it could increase your chance of infection. But what I say is that if you decide to get a cervical check, it's a very personal choice. Nobody can decide for you, right? But if you decide to get a cervical check before labor starts, expect your cervix to be hard, closed, tight, and tilted backwards and expect them to have to dig around for it. And it might be a little uncomfortable. And if you do, if you go into your cervical check, expecting that your cervix is doing exactly what it needs to be doing at 36 weeks, which is keeping your baby in until Mm -hmm. it's time to deliver. Mm -hmm. And then my clients always say, well, then what's the benefit of, getting a cervical check inlet, if it's just to like, make sure my cervix is still closed and hard. (laughs) And I'm like, well, Well, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like if you're concerned that you're in active or that you're in labor or you're worried or whatever, then that might be something helpful. Like if you're 36 weeks and you're dilated to four centimeters, that might be a problem. But also there, I mean, there's some unique circumstances where it might be a normal thing, but The cervical check will only tell you what your cervix is doing at that exact moment in time. And at 36 Mm -hmm. weeks and 37 weeks and 38 weeks and 39 weeks, even when you're getting cervical checks, expect it to be hard, low, close, tight, and backwards. Even at 41 weeks sometimes. I've had clients go in with a, Mm -hmm. get a cervical check. Their cervix is doing nothing. Their provider says that. And then they get sad. And then emotions impact how labor starts, right? But I've also had clients be completely low, close, tight, hard, and And then go into labor the next day and have their baby. Exactly. And that's
0: something that I like wanted to focus on is this is the crazy thing about cervical exams. One, they can be uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. they most likely will be, especially if you're a first time mom and have never had any dilation. Right. And if it's far back, then they're reaching back and around to try and check that cervix. So it's uncomfortable both physically and emotionally. And if you are a survivor of like sexual abuse or any trauma or anything like that, it can be traumatizing and downright scary to have that happen. Cause it's, it's scary. It's scary. It's not yeah, a agree. place that you want people to be right. And so to put yourself through that, when you are potentially finding out really nothing that matters, mm-hmm. then that's hard. So I always tell my clients this when they ask me because it's a typical question. Hey, I'm 36 weeks. I'm getting my GBS test today and they want to check my cervix. What would you do? You know, and I always tell people this. A cervical exam means nothing, not even when you're in labor, because even when you're in labor, your body will tell you where you're at. Right. Like I've gone to home births where there has never been a cervical
1: exam ever. I have never yeah, seen. I didn't have any in with my last three births. Yeah.
0: Like I, births. yeah, I've seen. I don't have any. I've seen it where this midwife never put her hands inside of this mom. And she was like, oh, she's probably about this. Oh, she's probably about this. And then, you know, the mom was ready to push. And she's like, yep. Okay. This is following trusting birth. So anyway, it doesn't really mean much because, so I tell my clients, if you feel you need to know, If it is going to hang over your head because you don't know what you are, go ahead and get a cervical exam. But if it's something that is going to upset you when you hear a result that isn't exactly what you were hoping, do not do it because it is not worth it. Because like Julie just said, you can be high, closed, tight, uh, you know, posterior and go into labor and be 10 centimeters less than 24 hours later. Or guess what? You can be six centimeters for weeks, for weeks. Yeah, yeah. Not Megan had just had a
1: client like that. Yes, so, I did. <laughs> and <laughs> and you crazy. know what though? On the other end of that too though, like if you go, you get a cervical check and you're like, oh, you're four centimeters. Then your body's going to have a baby soon. and then it takes five days before you go into labor. That's mm-hmm. equally as discouraging. Yeah, you know, like, I'm absolutely. four centimeters. Why the heck is nothing happening now? And guess what? Your mind can affect your hormones and prevent Labor from starting when everything's mm-hmm. all out of whack. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And something else. You know, when I was preparing for my be back journey with Webster, I wasn't even pregnant yet, and starting. You know, my interviewing process of all the providers, and one of the providers that I spoke to said, "So something that I got was kidney stones." when I was pregnant, I just one of those lucky people. It's awesome. Um, and <laughs> so my, and my water breaks like early on. So I have prom premature rupture of membranes, um, not pre-prom, just
1: prom. It breaks
0: first it, before does labor kidney starts. Kidney
1: stones affect the, does It's just having kidney stones increase your chances of, Premature rupture of membranes? So that's what he is thinking. So he was thinking,
0: yes, he said, because my body was, I, I haven't looked into it even since then. I just like took his note and I was like, oh, that's that's something to know. But so my body was working to fight infection, you know, so all this stuff on this, my kidneys that it weakened my amniotic sac, which I have no idea. Again, there is no, I have not found any proof. However, coincidentally enough with my first two, it was two days after a cervical exam that my water broke.
1: Oh, yeah. And so it does I increase just your wondered, chances of premature rupture of membranes.
0: And in or infection, right? So yep. like anytime you put your hands in someone's vagina, like it increases infection of some sort. And and so anyway, I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder, I don't know. It just, it was interesting to me, you know? So yeah, it's just, it's hard. And, you know, f- cervical checks can also be done for different reasons, not just to, check if you're dilated or effaced, but it can check fetal positions. So a provider can go in and be like, oh, yep, I'm feeling an ear right here. We've got a transverse baby or, oh, I'm feeling the wrong occiput. We've got an OP baby. But or, that's oh, not you know, if
1: you're low heart and close and tight. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that, that's that's during usually labor. if you're in labor, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, that's usually in your labor. And even then we can kind of test with palpitations on the outside to figure like, oh, I feel like we've got a back here, we've likely got, you know, an OA baby, maybe baby's looking transverse based off our pattern or something like that. But it's just, it's not necessary. It's, it's really not necessary. And so I just have to say that first of all, but I always tell my clients, if it's going to drive you crazy, it literally, if it's going to drive you crazy, cause you have to know where you're at, then do it. If that's fine. Like, it's not like it's the end of the world to get a cervical exam either, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's like just the most important thing is it can just be such a mental block. And that's why I chose not to be checked at all. For my first VBAC, I had my, obviously, you know, I already have had home birth. And I chose not to get cervical checks at all because I knew if I was doing all that hard work and I was only four centimeters dilated, I would feel so defeated. I would. And I knew that because I knew myself, I knew my personality, I knew that I would not be able to reason with myself at all, even mm-hmm. though I know circumstances can change in an instant and all of those things, but I know that it would be a total, my mi- it would totally mess with my mind. And so I chose not to. I chose to just go with the natural progress of labor. And like Megan said, uh, my midwife trusts in the natural process of labor. Everything was progressing smoothly. There was no need for it. But if there was a cause for concern or if, some, or if I was having some type of bleeding or if, I don't know, the soft foot coming out or something, maybe like a cervical check would have been necessary have more, and beneficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? But as long as labor is going smoothly, I just, I knew there's eventually a baby was going to come out my body was going to start pushing. And so you can also tell by like labor patterns and, and how contractions are coming and the space between contractions about baby positioning. Because if you're, you typically, not always, but typically, if there is a posterior baby or a baby whose head is a little bit turned sideways or frontwards or backwards, then the contractions will like couple, they'll be back to back or there'll be a really like a lot of really intense contractions. And then a long space without any contractions, it'd be like a really irregular contraction pattern. And in that case, you can just do some positional work while you're in labor and, and usually get that position fixed. But again, um, sometimes that brings peace of mind. Like Megan said, like when you're in labor, if you want to know if you're progressing or you just need to know if anything's changing, then that could be very beneficial. Another Mm -hmm. thing when, cervical checks are beneficial is if you're being induced with Pitocin, they need to know if the p- strength of the Pitocin is uh, doing yeah. enough to cause cervical change. It's like making your uterus contract enough to cause cervical change. And the only way they can do that is by doing a cervical check. You don't want to be maxed out on Pitocin. Pitocin is so, is I, more often than not described as having contractions that are more intense than contractions without Pitocin. And so it's kind of hard to gauge labor by how the mother is acting based on Pitocin contractions. So, and in a hospital, in in a hospital, I mean, let's just call it like it is. Like doctors like data. They like to see things and they like to know numbers and they like to know how things are progressing. They don't like to just sit, watch, and observe. And they can't because they're delivering, you know, a dozen other babies that day. I don't know, probably not 12 babies in a day, but And there's nurses in and out and everything like that. And that's the way to, to like get your continuity of care and to make everybody happy is by looking at the charts and that's how they see that everything's going normally. Unless Mm -hmm. you have somebody that's like constantly by your side, like a midwife at a home birth that um, can monitor and knows what natural, normal flow of labor looks like without Pitocin or other interventions, then um, a cervical check is a pretty useful tool to make sure that induction or Pitocin or whatever is doing enough to cause cervical change.
0: Right. And I, I wanted to add a number, um, a study about PROM. We were talking a little bit about it, but there was some, some studies doing it. You know, there wasn't a ton of people enrolled in the study, so you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, it was still a study done. And so you just look at it. And so, um, what they did is they had So like there were groups and like the one like you couldn't get checked, they didn't get checked until 40 to 41 weeks. And then the other one started getting their routine check starting at 37 weeks. And when they compared the rate of prom in both groups, the rate of prom was that 6% of the group without vaginal exams. Sorry. Yeah. So 6% versus 18% of the women had weekly exams had
1: prom. That's like three times the amount.
0: Yeah, so exactly.
1: Wow, yeah.
0: isn't that crazy? And so you know, they say. I remember when my water broke with Lainey. My nurse is like, you know, only ten percent of people have prom, and then it happened with number two with Lila, and then it happened with me. Like, and I'm like, well, hundred like percent to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like one hundred percent here. Um, <laughs> so it was just, but it, that's interesting to me, like six versus eighteen percent. I mean, seriously, that's that's pretty crazy, you know, Um, that's a pretty big number. So something to think about when, especially if you're someone who has had prom in the past, like this may not be something, you may want to avoid cervical exams for that reason. And I know for me, like I wanted to avoid cervical exam and I wanted to avoid stripping of my membranes, mm-hmm. you know, and those are those two things were very important to me that I avoided. And I still like started contracting them, my water broke early on still with Webster, but at the same time, like I had a whole different experience with Webster and someone who trusted birth more and gave me the time that I needed. But to me, like six, 6% versus 18%. I mean, th- that to me was pretty substantial.
1: Yeah, that that is pretty crazy. So my second and third babies actually started with prom and prom. I don't know if we said this or not. Premature rupture of memories. But that basically is just a fancy way of saying your water it breaks before labor starts. But so two out of my three VBACs, which are my spontaneous labors, started with prom. But then again, I don't know if it was really prom or not. Because, I mean, with my VBAC baby, I was in early labor at the wedding night before I went to bed. And I woke up to my water breaking both times. And so I very well could have been in labor. But, like, I labored for a long time afterwards. But then with my last baby, my third VBAC, which is my fourth child, my water didn't break till she was till two minutes before she was born. So, it's really interesting. Like, yeah, those are, that's really good information, Megan, to consider uh, about cervical checks. And I, I just, the reason why they're forced so much and offered so much is because doctors like data. It's just a good, it's, it's not a good way, but it's a way for them to to feel like there's some kind of control, right? Or that they have some kind of information that the, they can use to base the rest of your care on and Mm -hmm. so what I would always say like if your provider is getting really pushy about a cervical check one thing I tell my clients to do is say okay so we do my cervical check then what will change in my care based on what we find in the cervical check like what are we going to do with this information that you get from the cervical check Mm -hmm. and your provider might say "Well," We just kind of want to make sure that your cervix is getting ready for labor. Then you can say, well, sorry, that was said in kind of like a dumb voice. I'm sure that most providers, I didn't want to portray providers in that way. But if they just tell you, well, we want to make sure your cervix is getting ready for labor, then you can say, okay, but what what if it's not getting ready for labor? What if it's hard and close? Then what would you do? And then they'll say, well, we'll probably just watch and want to do another cervical check next week to see if there's been any change. And then, you know, you can say, okay, well, in that case, I think I'd rather just wait, you know, or Mm -hmm. just say, no, I'm going to decline. And I have never had clients say, at least in pregnancy, say, or get any kickback when they say, no, I don't want to do a cervical check. Usually the provider's like, okay, cool. Because you know why? It's because most parents... I don't think that anyone likes to get a cervical check, but it's just become such a standard thing. Most parents agree to it. They think, oh, my provider says I should get a cervical check. I guess I should get a cervical check, right? Mm -hmm. But then what happens is if you're 40 weeks or 41 weeks and your cervix is still hard and closed and tight and and your provider like takes their hand out of your vagina and says, well, your cervix is still posterior and pretty hard. There hasn't been much change since last week. It doesn't really look like your body's gonna go into labor. Yes. So we should oh. probably schedule a cesarean. Or an induction. Yeah, or an induction. But if the cervix isn't opening, well, I guess they could do a fully bowl, but some directors don't do a Foley bowl place. with a V back, yeah. which is not evidence-based either.
0: Yeah, it's it's so interesting. And you know, I have I have seen some pressure and kickback for people who are like, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to avoid doing that or I'm going to decline that. So, you know, it's like, oh, well, we really need to do it next week then.
1: Yeah. Because and then next we week, we need to say know no again.
0: Yeah. Because we need to know. And it's like, no, they don't Why do they need, don't to, need know? to know, you guys. They they don't need to know. No one needs to know because your body will go into labor. Like it it just will. So, Babies just
1: don't stay in forever. They just don't.
0: I know. I know. Um, so, there's this website called feministmidwife.com. And I love it because she, well, she's got a lot of awesome stuff on there, but she has like a blog. It's it's kind of older, but I think it's awesome. It's called Empowering Gyneologic, Gynecologic Exams, The Speculum Care Without Stirrups. And so you guys should go read about it because she talks about how you don't have to have your feet up in these crazy big stirrups to get, you know, vaginal exams and things like that. You just... You don't. And um I also have seen that in labor where people like my clients are like, okay, or like, hey, we need to do a cervical exam. Okay, that's fine. Can you do it right here? Because they're laboring comfortably and they're in their zone. They found it on their side or on their hands and knees or whatever. And providers are like, no, we have to have you on your back. Like and you're, you know, crisscross applesauce. Mm. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you don't. So give that website a look for sure because Sometimes, even just the way you are checked can bring on the pain and discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's just hard. cervix cervical exams, they kill me a little bit. They just kill me a little bit. I'll be honest. But sometimes it's really nice to know and you want to know and and it's for convenience for you, for your mind. So you're like, okay, I want to labor at home as long as possible. And so I would like to know where I'm starting. So when I'm late in labor, I'm, I know I'm already six centimeters, so, If things are intense, I probably need to go because I'm in transition or, you know, things like that. Like, I understand that too. So you just have to kind of go with what is best for you and what you feel that you need. But don't let anyone pressure you or force you into something that you're not comfortable with. If you are presented with a provider that is like, no, we are doing a cervical exam. That's what we do. You are 37 weeks today. We do it. You know, you just you don't have to. If that's not just what you want,
1: say no. Say
0: I I
1: decline. I am not going to do that. Say I will sign an A I'll sign a waiver saying I'm refusing treatment and you document in my records that you are pres- that I declined a cervical check and that's then bam, true. then it's documented. No one
0: no one needs to be in your vagina. They just don't. So, um just say no. Yeah, <laughs> just say no again unless you want to. Unless you want to. And if you do, that's fine. So yeah, do you have any other
1: yeah, should we talk about like the different changes that the cervix does go through? Cause sometimes yeah. like mm-hmm. just hearing a number like the centimeter number can be pretty frustrating. So I wish I had a video. We we go over this in depth in our um how to be back prep course for parents and our also for our doula's in our doula course. But the cervix, most of the time when people say, oh, cervical change, they're like, oh, four centimeters, five centimeters, six centimeters, seven centimeters. But what they don't think about is all the other changes that the cervix is making on its way to 10 centimeters. So a cervix, like when at the very beginning, like when during your whole entire pregnancy, like we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, your cervix is job is to be hard, tight, close, thick and pointed backwards. It is Fort Knox. It is keeping that baby in. The baby is not coming out. And by the time your baby's born, it has to be wide open and create all of this space and room for baby. And in order to do that, it does more than just open, which is when you say, oh, five centimeters dilated. That's what we're talking about when we say your cervix is opening. Okay. Now, one of the first things that your cervix will do is start to straighten out, which will move from a posterior position to anterior position. Um, not to be confused with baby's position. Sometimes I have my clients will come back to me. And they're like, they said my my baby was posterior during the cervical check, and I'm like, well, I think they might have meant that your cervix is posterior. So posterior just means to the back. So your cervix is pointing backwards. It straightens out to become more anterior. Comes moves forward. It also softens. So like we talked about before, your forehead, your nose, and your and then your chin, and then your lips. It goes through like those softening phases so by the time it's all the way soft it will be like really squishy like your lips are and then it thins which like if you think about it it starts pretty thick like I don't know like two like um I don't know like how long is the cervix an inch or something long and then it thins out until it's like a sliver like a paper thin and then eventually it pulls all the way over the baby's head and you can't feel it anymore so that is called a facement Which means thinning, effacement. And then it also, oh no, wait, I got mixed up. So the softening is different from effacement. So it softens, right, until it gets soft and squishy like your lips, and then it thins out. So yeah, the thinning part is called effacement. And then also your baby descends, like how high your baby is in your pelvis is also part of cervical change because a baby that's pressing, whose head is pressing against the cervix, is going to cause the cervix to change more. So it goes through those. Changes of moving forward, becoming softer, thinning, and then opening is actually one of the last things it does. Now, it doesn't do these things like in order, but usually they do them kind of simultaneously. But I'll tell you, a cervix that is forward and softer and thinner opens a lot easier than a cervix that is harder and thicker, right? Can you kind of like envision what I'm explaining mm-hmm. here? Yeah. So if you get checked and you're, when you're in labor and you were four centimeters and 50% of face, which means like halfway a face, right? You would need to go from like about one centimeter or one inch thick. I think I'm just kind of guessing. I don't know if it's one inch. So don't really quote me on that. I kind of just like thinking in my head based on the visuals I've seen, but which means like now you're half an inch thick, right? So 50% of face, and four centimeters dilated, and then you get checked again two hours later and your your nurse is like, well, you're still four centimeters dilated. Then you're automatically gonna think, oh my gosh, I'm still four centimeters dilated. My cervix hasn't made any change at all. Then I always want you to ask, okay, well, how effaced am I? And then the nurse will usually say, well, look, you're like 80% effaced. And going from 50% effaced to like 80% effaced is a huge deal because that means your cervix is thinner. And thinner cervixes open open more easily. So even though you might still be four centimeters, going from 50% of face to 80% of face is a lot of cervical change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And also, where where is baby in the pelvis? What station is baby? I know we, oh my gosh, there's so much. I feel like I'm teaching our course now, kind of. Um, we go way in depth into the, all of this in our, par- our VBAC Parents course, which you can find at the VBAClink.com shop. But how low baby is into the pelvis can also make a big impact on cervical change. So if your baby goes from a minus two station to a minus or a minus three station to a minus one station, the baby's gotten a lot lower. And again, a baby that's lower in the pelvis also can create cervical change quicker. So don't get discouraged if you're four cent. I mean, four centimeters is a really common place for your body to like hang out for a little while. Getting to six centimeters is always like the longest part, getting from one to six usually progresses slower than getting from 7 to 10, right? 7 to 10 usually goes relatively quick compared to 1 to 6. But it's also kind of common to hang out at 6 centimeters for a little while As as your baby is descending and your cervix is thinning out more and getting softer. Those are two really common centimeter dilations to kind of hang out at while your cervix finishes getting ready for the next stage of labor. So always ask, if you're still four centimeters or five or whatever, ask about your face to Ask where baby is. Ask if your cervix is feeling any softer or if it's still pretty firm because all of those things contribute to cervical change and all of those things will help your cervix dilate faster as they progress. Nice. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm trying to like go, <laughs> go through it fast and um, without oh, teaching the entire our entire yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. So, you know? time's sake.
0: Yeah. Moral of the story. Don't get defeated if your cervix hasn't made the amount of change that you're hopeful, hoped for, or that your provider said you had to make. Sometimes it takes longer. So
1: Yeah. And if you feel like, uh, before labor starts, if you feel like a cervical check has the possibility of making you feel really down and discouraged, then it's okay to say no and not get it checked. Just Mm -hmm. assume that your cervix is doing exactly what it needs to do by keeping that baby in until it is ready to come out. Yep. Ode to the cervix. Cervix is a pretty powerful thing, you guys.
0: It's an amazing thing. It's amazing. We're grateful for our cervix and our uterus and all of the amazing things our body our bodies do, really. Mm -hmm. So okay. If you have any other questions on cervix, give us an email. (laughs) We'd love to talk about cervix.
1: Really, we love to talk about anything yeah we just love to talk that's why we have a podcast all right well yes uh, let us know what your your other questions are and now hopefully you're walking away from this episode knowing a little bit more about cervix and cervical checks
2: interested in sharing your vbac head over to slash share to submit your story For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC Link.